What's going on, ladies and gents? Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and today I have special guest Connie Nightingale on the line, and we're going to dive into a little bit of everything today, so get ready. We're going to mostly talk about bodybuilding. She's been bodybuilding now for the past five years. She has learned a ton in the sport through trial and error, and I'm excited for her to kind of share some of that wisdom, especially as it relates to females. But we're going to dive into a little bit of everything. Like I said, she's she's got a lot of interest, a lot of varying interest, um, all of which I also find interesting. So hope you do as well. Without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy this conversation with Connie. And we are live. Connie, how are you? I'm doing awesome. How are you? I'm doing wonderfully well. I was on your podcast, um, what was it, about a month ago now, I guess? Yeah, yeah, it just aired this last Monday, but yeah. And we, we dove into all things bodybuilding. We hit a lot of a lot of the similar interests there. Uh, we realized that we know more people than we had originally thought, um, the small world that we live in here. And I'd love to just kind of pick your brain about the sport of natural bodybuilding, bodybuilding in general, NPC, different federations, especially as it relates to females. But before we even get into that, I kind of like to get a backstory on you and what got you in the space in the first place. All right. Well, you're totally going to laugh about this. <laughs> but um, when I was eight years old, um, I went over to my neighbor kid's house. We weren't allowed to have TV at my at my house. And so we went snuck over to the neighbor kid's house and they the Terminator had just <laughs> become a new thing. It had just come out on VHS, you know. And so I remember watching Arnold in the in the Terminator and just being enamored with him and like, oh my gosh, this guy is incredible. And that kind of just led me down this path of like this fixation with people that had like a lot of muscle. Mm-hmm. And when I say that, I'm not saying that I I all of a sudden was like, yeah, I'm going to get pumped and like and work out every day. It was actually far from that. I was um, always a kid that struggled with my weight. I um, basically I can remember crash dieting from like the age of 12. I mean, I think when I was like 14, I was on the slim fast diet or the Atkins diet or I was always trying something to slim down because I was always pretty hefty. Um so when I got into high school, I still was working out a lot. I was athletic. We raced motocross. We, we rodeo. Like, uh, I've always been aired on this extreme sports side of things. I have three brothers, so I'm a pretty big tomboy. And, you know, in high school, I lifted a lot. As a matter of fact, one of my coaches there, he started a powerlifting team. And so I was doing a lot of powerlifting. And I remember having these big muscles, but, like, I never had this chiseled physique and I always wondered what was wrong with me, why I was so big. I mean, I literally, my legs were so big. I had like stretch marks on the insides of them. And I, and I always felt so much different from everybody else. Mm-hmm. Anyway, fast forward to now, um, I am 34 years old and about five years ago, 2015, we had to make some pretty drastic dietary changes in my home. Um, I have a son that, Um, struggles with really bad ADHD. And so we ran across the GAPS diet, which is um, gut and psychology syndrome. There's a book out there on it. Um, Anyway, we ended up doing a full GAPS protocol for 16 months. And I would say within the first two weeks of that program, it's pretty low carbohydrate. Um, Within the first two weeks of that program, I noticed that my brain fog was gone. I could think clearly. And I also started to lose weight at a rapid pace. So within the upcoming six months, I would say I lost nearly 50 pounds. And at that time, yeah, it was a lot. And it was pretty crazy. People started asking me if I was okay, because I would look in the mirror and I could see like my ribs. And I was like, Ooh, that doesn't really look good. I was super skinny. I went from a size 14 down to like a size two. So very, very tiny. And I had like no muscle tone at all, which is interesting because we live on a farm. I work really hard. I'm always active, but I just shrunk (laughs) drastically. And so anyway, um, I remember looking in the mirror. First of all, I used to feel so much. 
right? You eliminate processed standard American diet foods, which we weren't, weren't, we never ate out or anything. I thought what I was cooking for my family was healthy, right? I was making spaghetti and meatballs. That's home cooked. It's healthy, right? You mm -hmm. know? Um, and I was making like steak and vegetables and a roll because aren't you supposed to have a carb with every meal? And well, come to find out, no, you are not supposed to have a carb with every meal. That is not what will will make you healthy and i suffered from so many things brain fog fatigue i didn't feel like doing anything now i would go out and do it but i was exhausted i was exhausted after work every day um working out was definitely not something that had crossed my mind because of the way i felt i was just like i'm just too tired from being a mom i have two children there's just no way i can work out well flash forward lost the 50 pounds one day I'm sitting in the mirror and I notice I can just see my ribs up in my chest. Right. And I'm like, this doesn't look good. And then I remember looking at my leg and I was like, Oh my gosh, I just look terrible. And then all of a sudden this light bulb went off. It was like, honey, if you want to have the physique that you have in your mind that you would like to look like, the only way you're going to get that is if you work your ass off, it's not just going to appear. It's not going to appear with food it's going to take some hard work. And I kid you not that day I wrote down on a sticky note, I was going to start working out every day and I signed it. That was my contract to myself. And I had no equipment or anything at my house. I have two small children. I go to work at 6am. I was like, there's no way I can go to the gym. So I'm doing it at home. And I just started every day by doing some body weight squats, push-ups, sit-ups, just some basic body weight movements. Every day I do three sets of 10 of those. Well, after a while, I kind of progressed beyond that, and I ended up buying a 20-pound kettlebell and doing a lot of work with that. And then pretty soon, I was like, okay, I'm really digging this, and I could see these muscles. I was probably driving my husband crazy because I started to get this muscle tone, and I would be like, hey, honey, feel my leg. I can feel a muscle there. <laughs> and I'm just... I'm sure I drove him crazy because he was, I was bombarding him with my gains, you know, I'm like, feel this, I have a bicep, you know, and then came the mirror selfies, because you're almost in disbelief when you start growing muscles, mm -hmm. it becomes very addictive, because you're, you're like, wow, look at this, this looks so cool, and wow, I did this to myself, you know, so pretty quickly, we empty out my whole office at my house, and next thing you know, um, I'm buying a bench and I'm buying weights and I'm buying all this stuff and I'm training out of my office at my house. <laughs> and uh, then came the, hey, honey, uh, I think I, I, I don't know that you knew this, but I've always really been into bodybuilding and I really think that I wanna step on stage, but that's gonna require me getting a coach or somebody that can help me with this process. And he was like, oh no. I mean, I can see the look on his face. He's like, he, and he knows me. I'm a super competitive person. I, I really like to win. And he was like, here we go again, <laughs> because we've raced dirt bikes together. We've been through a lot together. We've been together 18 years. I mean, he knows uh, how I am. And so he was like, okay, well, I support you in anything that you do. So if you want to do it, then go ahead. So I continue to train. I hired a coach like two months out from my first bodybuilding show. And I ended up uh, going in and doing really, really well. And the rest is history. Now I'm addicted to the sport. And that that's all within like the past five years, span. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's, that's crazy. That's so, awesome. That's pretty crazy how... Yeah. And the crazy thing is, is like, I... I... I didn't know that I would get as big into the sport as I did, but from the minute I decided to commit to it, just like everything in my life, I wanted to know everything about it. So that came listening to hundreds of podcasts and reading tons of books and, you know, really wanting to have a true understanding of the sport, what happens in the sport, um, posing, you name it. I have delved into it and, made it like my life's mission to know about things. And then that led to, okay, I should become a personal trainer. I want to know, because then people started asking me questions, right? And I had researched a ton and I felt really comfortable with the way that the human body functions and stuff. I've taken a lot of classes for my day job um, that involve a lot of the way we move and things like that. But then I start having lots and lots of people 
people contacting me asking questions. I didn't want to answer those questions um, incorrectly. I wanted to know how to give people proper information and actually have some training. So I became a personal trainer. And above the personal training thing, I've also been very, very interested in nutrition. And that started pretty much as soon as I got into the GAPS diet and finding out what food does to people. Mm-hmm. And so nutrition is has been my major baby for the last five years. I've put every waking hour into learning nutrition and how the body functions and how we all function differently and all sorts of crazy stuff. So anyhow, that's kind of where I have landed with this journey. And um, boy, I tell you, I've experienced some things. Now, I'm not super familiar with the GAPS diet, but I'm assuming it doesn't have any, like it's it's lower total carbohydrate, but it's not really specifically referring and dialing in uh, and focusing on like ketone production or anything like that, right? No, it's not. Um, the GAPS diet's main focus is healing the gut mm-hmm. um, because they say your gut is your second brain. And a lot of people suffer from psychiatric illness um, when their gut microbiome is um, disturbed. So basically we were trying to help my son who has severe ADHD um, by giving him a healing his gut essentially and trying to um, make it so that it would help mitigate the issues that he was having, which was, um, which did work very, very well within a several weeks of him being on that diet. People were like, wow, we would let him come stay the night. He's totally changed. What did you do? We had all sorts of people asking us that, but the GAPS diet is very, very basic. We're talking boiled, um, boiled chickens, boiled vegetables. They remove a lot of the, um, oxalates and, um, things like that from them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then lots of bone broths. Like the first phase is a lot of bone broth because bone broth is super, super good for you. The collagen is soothing to the stomach. Um, it's a not a lot of carbohydrates. We're talking super basic stuff. So um, yeah, there's a book on Amazon. It's um, Natasha Campbell McBride, I believe that wrote it. And it's really interesting stuff. If anybody is suffering from depression i mean obviously you and i both know that a ketogenic diet also helps with a lot of these things but you know there's more than one way to paint a picture and maybe that could help somebody that's not moved into a ketogenic diet but definitely low carb um but no no ketone checking yeah gotcha and and you'd mentioned that you started this uh this whole journey like with the nutrition and the training um you know five years ago so that puts you what like uh right at 30 or 24 or not 24 but uh 29 i guess for my age mm-hmm. um i'm 34 you're 34 now so like a lot of people yeah. they they look at the sport of bodybuilding and it it's it's weird it's like if, if you don't know anything about the sport it's just viewed as a very strange sport like people can talk you know smack about it all day long you're getting up on stage you know scantily clad and flexing for a bunch of judges like people don't understand what the underlying meaning is they don't understand why anybody would want to do this unless they're just totally vain and self-centered which couldn't be farther from the truth but most you don't see a whole lot of people just jumping into the sports uh you know in their later in their 30s in their late 20s i mean usually it's like people start doing that like when they're in high school and college and you see people just like stop doing it because when they get a job they have kids they have these responsibilities you don't see very many people starting it you know late 20s and beyond so i'm assuming that was kind of just a crazy transition for you and people that had typically been running around you like in the same circles they didn't know what to think for the first little bit there Oh yeah. Holy smokes. Did I get some feedback? And I think, I mean, I hate to be, I hate to have this mentality, right? But I think a lot of people, when they see you make a major life change like that, because bodybuilding is everything, right? It's every minute and every second of the day, there's not one time you can't be thinking about it because your nutrition has to be on point. Your workouts have to be on point. Your mind has to be on point. Mm -hmm. Your sleep, there's so stress, so many things, right? And so when people seek you make a huge life shift like that, they actually, I find there are some really supported people. They're like, man, you're doing great. You're doing wonderful. But a lot of people, you get a lot of negative feedback as well. And so at first that was something that was a little hard to mitigate. And then also you find that, um, I, 
people understand what fit looks like, um, especially for a female, because I think people think what fit actually is, is like these chicks in the movies that are like shredded and who knows, there's some action hero or something like that, or the Baywatch babes, people yeah. like that. They, I think that they think that that is normal and fit. What they don't realize is that many of these people have gone through bodybuilding cuts in order to look this way for these movies and for these photo shoots and all these things that you see in mainstream media. So when you go from being super shredded, because that's what happened, right? I went from skinny to having muscle to cutting and being totally shredded. And then I gained a couple pounds back. And when they saw that, they were like, what happened to you? Why did you gain so much weight back all of a sudden? And that was like, huh? What? Seriously? I mean, and as females, we obviously put on a little more weight than males in certain areas. And so it was like, um, dude, I'm like, I work out all the time and I'm like in super good shape. What are you talking about? But, but there's a huge misconception there between what normal people think fit is and what we know fit is. Totally. And I want to touch on a couple of things there. The first point you made about people not really you know, being in support of these these massive life-shifting goals, I think a lot of that stems from them just, you know, they don't want to put in the work for bodybuilding. I'm not I'm not suggesting that everybody should be a bodybuilder by any means, but, like, it's, it's the epitome of dedicated, disciplined, hard work. And it's, it's, it doesn't take a PhD to realize that if you're healthy, that, that should be what everybody strives for. Like everybody should strive to at least be healthy. And sadly, we, we live in a society where most the, the majority of the population is not healthy. So when you're healthy, you're kind of in the, the upper echelon of people's, you know, perspective on what their body composition is. Like people frown upon that. Like if, if you are healthier than they are, it's like it gives them reason to to doubt you or not even doubt you, but just like they they start having this judging thing going on and and finding people that support your health and nutrition endeavors, your athletic endeavors, regardless of what those are, it's it's, it's weird. Like people start pushing back against that when you would expect the exact opposite to take place, but that's not the case. One hundred percent. And, you know, it's really sad because I think that some people they, deep down inside, like they would really like to be in that place. But for them, for some reason, it's not an attainable goal. And when I say that, I'm not saying like, oh, yeah, they could go out and do it if they wanted to. Um, they can. You can do anything you put your mind to. But I think a lot of people don't realize that um, and they don't hold themselves accountable for that. And because of that, there's um, definitely I would I would be hasty to call it. I would not be hasty to call it jealousy, but I think there's some jealousy there. And so sometimes people just don't want to see you succeed and there, you can get a, definitely some pushback that in that form. Yeah. And so many people, they like, I can't really speak on this cause I don't have kids yet and I don't have, you know, a normal job anymore. Like I work for myself and I feel like people use their employment and their kids and their family as like this massive scapegoat as to why they cannot pursue their physical you know, goals. And I hate seeing that. Like, I hate seeing that. So hearing you, you know, having, uh, you know, a normal day job, having two kids and still being, you know, uber successful with this. Like, I love those stories because like, I, you're just a shining example of that it's possible. And pe people, you, you can succeed at whatever you make time for in life. And your health should be definitely one of the things that you make time for because you only have one body, one physical being. So, I think I think uh, just taking that excuse and throwing it away is where people need to start. Absolutely. And, you know, the thing about it is, is so like I and this is the other pushback I've gotten right as a mother. I have so many people that say, oh, well, you're neglecting your kids while you're doing all this. I seriously have been called because of the sport that I love. I've been called a neglectful parent by so many people, even to the point of where somebody turned me into CPS because they said I don't take care of my children. What? Like, <laughs> so, how, like uh, what was the context of that? Is, yes. <laughs> it was totally washed away by them. But, um, yeah, just saying that I don't take care of my children and that I neglect them and all of this stuff. And, and so, um, but here's the thing is that's part of what I have made it my mission not to do, though, is I do not take time away from my children at all. I literally wake up, I mean, ever since with that day that I looked in the mirror and decided to make the change for my body, 
and decided to, to um, actually start putting in work, my alarm would go off at 3.30 every morning, 3.30 a.m. And you're speaking to a woman right now. I have to be to work between 6 a.m. and 7 a.m., depending on the day. And so that was the only way I was going to fit it in. And instead of making an excuse as to why I couldn't fit fitness in, I decided how I was going to make it work. And I knew I was too tired when I got home from work. I also knew that I had kids that needed to have homework done. I needed to be able to cook them a meal. And so working out after work was not a good option for me. That's when the resolution came to hit that alarm, set it for 3.30 in the morning, and never hit snooze. And when I say never hit snooze, I do not hit the snooze button. I, the alarm goes off, I get up, and I get it done. So, um, And then during contest prep, we all talked about it before I went into contest prep as a family. I said, hey, guys, the last six weeks of this are going to get kind of rough. I'm going to feel pretty tired. Um, but I promise you guys, I even because there's two-a-days, there's sometimes you can't. Um, you can't not have a two a day when you're in the end stages of contest prep. You kind of have to do what you can to make sure that your weight is coming down and that you are leaning out. And so sometimes I had two a days and when that happened, I still had all of the food in the Instapot. I had it in the oven. I had food ready for them and ready to go. Everything set up so that they would be well taken care of, even if I wasn't home and everybody agreed on that. And they were like, that's no problem. It's a short period of time. But here's the other thing. As a parent, whether I was doing this at 3.30 in the morning when everyone was sleeping, which is still my, to this day, my trend. I go to the gym. I work out. I wake up at 3.30 in the morning. Nobody ever knows I am gone, period. Mm -hmm. um, which that may not work for everybody, but that's what works for me. Am I a morning people person? People are like, oh, you, well, we can't jump out of bed like you. It has nothing to do with that. I am far from a morning person, right? Here's the thing though. I am dedicated to my goals. So when that alarm goes off, I signed a contract with myself saying I would not hit the snooze button and I would get up and work out. I don't feel like doing it every day. I'm not like, yes, it went off. I'm going to the gym. That's not how it works. But I am holding myself accountable and I am being there. Yeah, there's, there's so much to be said for that. Like I also get up, you know, three o'clock, 3.30 every morning. And those first few hours a day before anybody wakes up, I and mean, that, that is like sacred time to me because nobody's sending emails then, nobody's calling then, nobody's blowing up my phone. Like that is just my time to be me. Like Crystal hadn't even woken up half the time. Like that's just my pristine moment. And I get more done in those two hours before the world wakes up than I do in the entire rest of the day. Yeah, and, I, and the thing is, is like you said, it's that sacred moment. That time in the gym has become my sacred moment. I love it. I put on my headphones, I crank the music and I start lifting and it's like this magical space. And it's become that moment of meditation for me, that moment that gets my day right. And when I don't work out, you can ask my husband, I'm crabby. I'm mm -hmm. a crabby bear. <laughs> and it was so funny because one of the guys that I lift with at the gym, his wife, we were all having dinner together. And she's like, man, if Adrian doesn't work out, he is so crabby. And my husband was like, geez, you're living the dream too there, huh? <laughs> so anyway, it's part of how I get myself right. And here's the other thing, everybody. To those of you who are listening, if you haven't jumped in on a, a fitness journey and you don't know where to start, especially you moms out there, you have to put your own oxygen mask on. If that airplane is going down, you've got to put that on first before you help everyone else. So if you are neglecting yourself, then you can't efficiently help your family either. So you, that means keeping yourself healthy, eating the right foods, and then having some moments for yourself. And it's so easy as a mom to get wrapped up in doing everything for your family. I know I'm the same kind of mom. I'm, I'm on top of everything. I'm trying to hold too many things in my hands. But sometimes you have to set all of that down and take a moment to do something for yourself because if you don't, then you're not actually going to be fully present to, and, and able to help your family out to the best of your ability. 100% agree. That's why I like the whole claim that taking care of yourself in this sport is such a, you know, selfish. It, I mean, it is kind of a selfish sport in certain ways, but like just overall health in general, like taking bodybuilding out of the equation, just being healthy and focusing on your nutrition and your fitness claiming that as you know a selfish thing that and you're a bad parent like like all those 
false claims. I mean, that could not be farther from the truth because if you, I mean, there's so many people that, that, that use those excuses and then they'll go spend three hours watching TV with their kids. But like, what is really a better time to connect? Like taking 30 minutes to an hour and a half for yourself to train. And and then when you're with your family to be able to like actually be there and be present and be healthy for many more years into the future or, you know, cutting your life short because you're just a total slob and weight on society. You know I mean? Like you have to kind of pick and choose your battles here. Right. And here's the other thing is this is a fantastic foot to be putting forward to showing your children about discipline and about doing things for health and it's and everything in life, honestly, like careers, you have to put in time to careers and you have to groom them if you want to have a great career. I mean, it's we're talking everything here. And when they see you do that, they soak it up. They are like little sponges. My kids love working out. My daughter wants to work out with me when I'm working out. Like it, I mean, I go to the gym now in the mornings, but there's an occasion here and there where for some reason I didn't get to go in the morning, whether it's a child care contraindication or something like that. And because of that, sometimes I work out at home, my kids see that and they want to join in. Like it's a big part of their life. And I have set the standard and the tune for the rest of their life. Absolutely. I bet you've been doing a lot of working out from home with this uh, virus thing going on right now. Well, I have and I haven't because here's the other thing is I just had reconstructive hip surgery 11 weeks ago. And so I've been doing lots of PT on myself and um, lifting some upper body here and there. But I've actually been on a furlough from lifting for the first time in nearly five years. And it has felt very weird. (laughs) My schedule feels off. It's like I cannot wait until and then this virus kind of showed up in the middle of it all, which I guess is good for me because it's less time I'm out of the gym. Um, but I, I'm so excited to be cleared by my doctor, which is hopefully going to happen in two weeks here. Um, and to go back to the gym and get back into my normal routine, which I'm not sure what that's going to look like because I'm still technically rehabbing, but it's okay. Um, I actually went ahead and remodeled my whole basement into a personal training studio so that I can see my clients in my home. And it came out really, really amazing. And so now we can all train. My husband's actually going to cancel his gym membership. (laughs) He's like, it's easy for me to go downstairs. He's like, I like going downstairs in my boxers and working out. (laughs) Yeah. um, yeah. And it's, so it's worked out really well. It was, it was actually a good move for me. I never would have turned my basement into a personal training studio. So now I have it. And I love that because let's be real, personal trainers can be expensive, right? And I hate having to charge my clients so much in order to cover what it costs to train them at the gym. Mm-hmm. So I, instead of being greedy and keeping my same rates, I have dropped my rates so that it's more affordable for people to come and learn how to start, um, you know, getting in shape and, and working out. I love it. I love it. I train at my house as well at the compound here and I've got, you know, just the basics for equipment, but I think you, you can do so much with just the basics. I mean, people take it for granted and so many people have used this virus and the gyms being closed as an excuse and a reason not to train. But I mean, like one of the guys that works uh, with, with us here at Keto Brick, like he, trains exclusively with body weights and resistance bands and he has for like the past 11 years and i mean he looks amazing and he's super healthy super fit super strong and there's just so much you can do without all the fancy equipment and people just become so reliant upon that fancy equipment that they they don't look for solutions elsewhere and when you do that it's like you get back down to basics and and you can make some pretty serious progress Oh, absolutely. And then here's the other thing is I think for some people it's been really excellent because it has had them jump back to the basics because let's face it, if you've been training for years and years and you've been going to the gym, all the tools for your toolbox are there. It's easy to start forgetting about some of the basic movements that are an important foundation for how our muscles function, stability things, um, all sorts of stuff like that, that you start to neglect type two muscle fiber development, things like that. So it's really important to kind of take it back to the basics sometime and start training some of that stuff that you may have been neglecting by lifting heavy or lifting with machines. 100%. You you had said something in the beginning that I definitely want to make sure we, we circle back on, and that was, you know, like female, uh, you know, composition specifically. Like if you 
lose a bunch of weight, gain a bunch of weight, build a bunch of muscle, cut down, lean out, um, just kind of like the transitions and the cycles that, that come along with that. Because I feel like, like you said, so much of the population has this skewed view as to what is healthy and what is sustainable, especially as it relates to, you know, female composition. So I'd love for you to just kind of flesh that out a little bit more and talk about, you know, how you've been able to make building muscle, losing fat, and then repeating that process sustainable for the long term. Uh, yeah, so that opens a really big door because there's so many facets to it. And especially with social media now, competing is becoming more and more popular. And I'm finding people using the stage as a reason to lose weight. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of coaches out there that are capitalizing on that. So here you have people coming into the sport They've never, they've never been exposed to any of this, right? And then you have these coaches pushing their own agendas on people, which can be extremely scary, especially for competitive people like me. I have watched, I don't know how many people go down these horrific roads with coaches. Um, and here's the thing, right? I don't know how you are. Maybe it's a female thing. But when I start getting super lean, my brain stops working. And I have never done a prep in a ketogenic way, which that's going to be my next prep 100%. And I will also be coaching myself. Mm -hmm. I don't plan on having another coach. I don't plan on opening up doors to have bad coaching come in. I'm all done with that. But I've watched my friends go down this road. And it may have something to do with not coming in ketogenically because you and I both know that when you start taking away carbs and fat, which is a common bro diet – um, in the end stages of prep, your brain stops working. Totally. Right? Totally. Uh, and you get to where you, I mean, getting lean for a bodybuilding show is extremely difficult. And when you get in that mind frame where you're just going to get it done, then you start to make really stupid decisions. And I've watched so many people be swayed by their coach to do things that are not okay. And it's, it's a really scary thing in this sport. And there are a lot of really terrible coaches out here, out, out everywhere. And um, a lot of these people don't realize that they are compromising their health for a trophy. Yeah. And that is a, a really, really scary thing. And then here's the other thing because not put all of that stuff aside, right? Hours of cardio, huge caloric deficits, Um, PEDs, you name it, put all of that aside, right? Here's another thing that these coaches are doing to their female clients, and that's that they aren't telling them what it's like post-show. They are also not telling them that they have to gain weight afterwards post-show because what they are doing is not sustainable. There's a reason that there's a time frame on contest prep, right? And that that we say we are in prep right now because you're otherwise you would just be in prep all the time that wouldn't be an existent factor right Mm -hmm. and so these bad coaches aren't telling these females that they are going to have to gain some weight afterwards that they are going to have to reverse slowly like none of this stuff gets delivered gets um said and so then the next thing that you know you have these girls that have these major crashes after their show and they gain weight and they get body dysmorphia eating disorders, you name it, lots of stuff surfaces post-show because of bad coaches. All right, so we could probably literally have a two-hour podcast off of like multiple different bullet points from that one statement you made. <laughs> um, but yeah. I'd love to I'd love to dive into this in more depth because there's there's so many people that go through a prep or maybe that they haven't but they're interested in it, but they just have this totally skewed perception as to what a prep involves uh you know natural versus not natural keto versus non-keto post-show like post-show i mean that's an afterthought nobody even thinks about post-show until it's too late um but i'd love to just hear you like from a coaching perspective you know what are some of the like the top three massive red flags i guess uh when it comes to contest prep coaches like if somebody's interested where can they look to like know what's a pretty good degree of certainty if they should look a different direction for a coach um boy there's so many of them it's really really hard to um (laughs) it's really hard to get into there i actually did a full episode on it um i'd say one of the top red flags um would actually be uh sodium manipulation Mm -hmm. i think 
I mean, to me, that's a really important one. If you have a coach that going right in, they want to cut your, your sodium, that is a humongous red flag. Yep. Second of all, if that coach can tell you, if you're like, what's peak week going to look like? If that coach can tell you what peak week's going to look like before you even get close to there, that's another big red flag. Um, I'd say 1500 calories is a red flag. And the reason I say that is I feel like that's some common denominator between coaching. Now, all of a sudden, the minute you start a contest prep, you should be at 1500 calories. That's a huge red flag. Um, PEDs. Let's talk about those a little. Um, I recently consulted with a coach a while back for myself. I shouldn't say recently. This was quite some time ago. But within the first two weeks, she was like, have you tried, ever tried doing any um, supplements that would help you trim down? Or did you know that you can take supplements that will help you maintain your muscle through a cut? And or or coaches that will say, sorry, you're never going to win if you stay a natural athlete. There are lots of coaches out there. If a coach starts bringing up drugs in any form or any kind of supplements, you should run as fast as you can in the other direction. Because how in the hell is that coach even know how your body acts? They don't. They haven't been with you long enough. There's no way. And especially for someone that's like a first time competitor, like you need to know what your body's capable of naturally, 100% naturally, before you ever even consider performance-enhancing drugs. And I don't ever, I mean, I've never used them. I don't recommend them. But I don't pass judgment on people that have because that's just a route that people take, especially in the sport. But you need to have some perspective on what your body's capable of naturally before you ever even dabble into that. Absolutely, yes. I 100% agree with that because... Honestly, building muscle takes a lot of time and you need to, I mean, you're not going to know within weeks or even months what your body's going to do. This is a process that takes quite a while. So jumping into a performance enhancing drug right off the bat is a horrible idea, especially as a female. I mean, I know males can have hormonal ramifications as well, but males are a little more studied in this area. Mm -hmm. Females, there's, there's next to zero research on females and performance enhancing drugs and let me tell you females have some crazy hormone stuff going on as you probably know uh, and and when you start manipulating that you're looking for some big trouble and a lot of these that's another thing is a lot of these coaches that bring this up to their clients so say their clients like oh yeah I guess I'll do something like that okay I'm not judging you can do whatever you want it's your body if you want to take it to the next level that is totally up to you but a lot of these coaches don't understand how these things work they yeah. are putting these clients on this thing because maybe they saw a youtube video about it i mean it's that bad maybe they saw a youtube video about it maybe they did it back in the 80s when they were competing or they were you know building who knows but they're putting females we're talking a lot of these coaches are males and they're putting females on hardcore male steroids and you can only imagine what happens when when that happens you are messing with your physiology for life you are changing your voice potentially facial hair all sorts of things change that we won't even talk about here and females don't know this like a lot of these clients just go along with what these coaches say and they're totally cool with it you know if you would like zoom out and look at this sport on a macro level what has me excited like what has like what gives my brand and my purpose meaning is to be able to find a way to make this sport of bodybuilding healthy and sustainable and enjoyable and and manifest itself in a way that you continually improve from. I am astonished by how many coaches and competitors and people, you know, this is why the sport has such a negative stigma because they do these things that have these these long-term ramifications that just strips years from their life, strips the quality of those years down to nothing, all for a $20 plastic trophy. And it just blows my mind. So to be able to, like, approach this sport from a healthier perspective, that, I mean, that's been my life's mission for the past several years now. Well, and that's actually part of the reason I had sought out you for my podcast that you and I did together um, is because – you're doing it at a much more sustainable way, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I think, so metabolically speaking, when we 
especially with bad coaches, bring our calories down to an extremely low point. There's a lot of hormonal stuff that happens. And, and aside from our sex hormones, things that happen, we're talking about hormones that affect how hungry we are, how fast our metabolism functions, all of that kind of stuff, right? You get super lean and your body automatically starts overriding a lot of the things that you have on your mind as far as like, I'll just use this as an example. I don't know about you, but when I get extremely lean, I almost can't help eating things that I normally wouldn't eat within a million years. And it's crazy. I've never eaten at Popeye's chicken. That's just one example. Mm-hmm. Never in my life. I was three weeks out from a bodybuilding show. I almost just pulled right in there and went in the in the drive-thru and was going to order something up because I feel like, the, the, your body is trying to save you and a, a common denominator with that in a lot of contest preps is the fact that they cut fat out um fat is more satiating it is more hormonally healthy and so i think when this fat is getting this is my idea um i think when fat is getting cut out it's also more disruptive to these hormones that are hunger signaling hormones like 100 um, like, no questions asked. Like, totally yeah yeah. So I think what happens is you come out of the show then, right? And then you've got these bad coaches that don't tell people how hungry they're going to be. All of a sudden, they don't have this end goal in sight. And you are so hungry, you cannot stop eating. So what happens is you binge on all sorts of stuff. And a lot of these competitors will gain like 20, 30, 40 pounds in like a week or so because that hunger signaling is totally messed up. So part of the reason that I was motivated to come to the keto diet also was for post show right because it's so much more metabolically healthy for you as far as coming out of the show goes as far as going into it because you're eliminating a lot of these factors as far as going into the show like you and i talked about you're not having to manipulate sodium you don't have the chance of spilling over which for my my listeners you and i listeners here that are um that not familiar with a bodybuilding show when you carb up too much or your timing isn't absolutely impeccable. Um, you can do something called spillover and it's pretty crazy. You go from this shredded looking athlete to actually having kind of like a layer of water over the top of your muscle. That's the nearest way I can describe it. Mm -hmm. And you don't look, you don't look like you're fitting in shape. You aren't that dry, crisp look that the judges like to see on stage. So there's a big chance of that happening when you incorporate carbohydrates Um, and here you just prep for 16 to 20 weeks and all of a sudden, or more, some people, and all of a sudden you totally blow it in a matter of days or hours, even when it comes to carbohydrate manipulation. So that's one great thing to mitigate. I think right off the bat, um, also insulin can make one really hungry. Uh, and when your insulin signaling gets messed up and all of that, that, that definitely messes with your hunger cues. Um, and then you've got all sorts of other hormones going on, um, that definitely can be a big problem for post-show. So, um, these people gain 20 to 30 pounds in a week or so when they could be eating things that are more satiating and more fatty and be more, not hungry anymore. And that was one of the big, big pivotal moments in my bodybuilding career. And I say career, it's kind of hilarious because it's only been five years, but in five years I have literally absorbed myself with the sport. I decided coming, I coached myself coming out of every one of my shows because um, my coaches were not good fits for me and I stuck with them through the shows and then I ditched them. And that's when I decided I'm never hiring a coach again Mm -hmm. but the pivotal moment for me was um i decided because of our mutual friend dr barry coming out of my last contest prep that i would go strictly carnivore all of a sudden i noticed that unlike every other contest prep where it is nearly impossible to not try to eat yourself to death i all of a sudden was satiated i wasn't starving i wasn't eating more than i should have And that's when it clicked. What is the common denominator with this? Because I was eating plenty of protein before. I was eating so much protein with one of my coaches that I should have had issues, but I didn't. But what was the common denominator? It was fat. Bingo. Fat was was the key. 
And I think if more competitors could steer away from doing this crazy sodium manipulation, we're talking competitors, they won't drink water for days. They'll be in saunas with trash bags on and sweating. I was one of them. I was, I can tell you that I have done that stuff and that stuff is dangerous and that stuff permanently wrecks your body. So why would you want to do it for a stupid trophy? Yeah, I, I totally agree. And it, it's crazy because there's, I mean, keto's been popular now for a few years. I mean, I, I started keto five or six years ago. Um, and I feel like it's to a point now where the conferences are there, there's information online, and the information's out there. Like, if you look, it, it's out there. But I, I'm just honestly astonished at how ignorant the bodybuilding space is to the ketogenic diet from a nutritional standpoint still to this day. I mean, it's it's kind of gotten a little bit of hype in the bodybuilding space, but their idea of keto is just simply taking out the carbs but leaving the protein very high, keeping fat very minimal. Like They just don't know. They don't get it. There's not really hardly any good resources within the bodybuilding sphere that actually know what they're talking about as it relates to keto. And I'm curious to get your take on this. Like, Why do you think this is? Like, Are we just that bullheaded and ignorant, or what's going on here? You know, I don't know what it is, honestly, and I... I have tried to figure this out myself. Um, it's actually pretty crazy. Uh, there are some coaches here um, that recently have started trolling me on the internet over my beliefs. And it's not that I put, I don't put every one of my clients on keto. This is basically something that I have done for myself. Second of all, because I found out I'm insulin resistant, right? Which a lot of Americans are the, these days, I think, in my own opinion, I've seen how people function and I've seen the metabolic issues that people have. Um, and you know, look at all the type two diabetes out there. Anyway, I found out that I am insulin resistant and in that process, it was like, okay, this makes sense. I've been watching my blood sugar for ages. Right. And I look at lots of other people and I don't put every one of my clients on a ketogenic diet. I put my clients on a clean, real food diet though, for mm-hmm. sure. Um, but some people do really well with it. And some people that are open to doing it, I am like, yeah, let's do it. Um, but the thing about it is, is recently I've had a lot of coaches basically gang up on me about my beliefs in eating clean stuff. They're pushing their Lane Norton stuff on me. It's pretty crazy. And I don't know why they're not receptive to seeing that, you know, it, I mean, if I was talking to you and you were one of these, um, IFFYM people, which you're not, but if you were, I wouldn't alienate you for that at all. We all have yeah. to paint the picture a, a different way, but what I'm seeing is a more sustainable way to paint that picture and, uh, and a way to preserve that picture after we have painted it. Totally. And like, like you said, I have nothing against the, the flexible dieting. If it fits your macros demographic, I mean, you, you can apply many of the same principles to a well-formulated ketogenic diet there's there's just so much you know negativity out there and pushback about some of these just common concepts that i would think would be mainstream at this time but but they're not um i think a lot of it has to do with the fact that there's just so much uh you know business and you know i guess notoriety built on this concept before you know, any thought was given to the importance of dietary fat, like with the old school way of thinking with regards to, you know, just counting calories. Like there's so much built on that belief as it relates to the bodybuilding industry that I think people are just going to be very hard pressed to move away from that. But I feel like when you're dealing with people's health and long-term health, like you have to be open-minded to learning these new things and experimenting and trying and learning. And I th- I'm, I'm afraid to, to say that I feel like it's going to be one of the last industries to adopt, you know, this this more more of an emphasis towards nutritional health and nutrition nutrient density, um, and like you know leveraging ketogenic diet high in proper fats. Well, and you know the thing is, is like we all learn these things, right? Like, what could your future self tell your present self? I mean, we learn all sorts of things. I reserve the right to be wrong about stuff. I that that happens with doctors for crying out loud. I mean, look at our buddy Ken. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, people that look back and they're like, "Wow, how could I ever have done this?" And there are places in everybody's life for that. But you, I think, unless you have tried it, you can't knock it unless yeah. you've tried it. Um, I and also another big thing in this industry 
is that's holding people back from trying new things and being open to new things is ego. Yeah. I mean, there, it is a big egotistical sport. Now, don't get me wrong. I have met some of my closest friends in the bodybuilding industry and it is a wonderful sport. People know how hard it is to get on stage and how much work it takes. And there is a common, uh, thing there where every in that regard but then there's i feel like this this battle of the coaches going on where people are willing to put their clients health at risk in order to make themselves look good and so therefore maybe other considerations aren't being made that should be being made totally agree uh one of which i think is is how low these coaches take you know people's calories female females in particular um but i feel like you have a very healthy outlook on that and like metabolism in general. So kind of just dive into that a little bit. Like what is your take on, uh, you know, ramping calories up, being okay and embracing the fact that you're going to gain a little bit of adipose tissue when you do that, but it's for the long-term benefit. And then, you know, when you take calories down, don't take them down so low that you have a, you know, negative adverse effect for long-term health as well. Right. And I'm telling you, Robert, everything that I have learned, you can bet I've learned it the hard way, right? I seem to have this innate ability to learn things the hard way, even if I know they're wrong, right? Mm -hmm. And um, <laughs> and then really be able to speak about them from experience. So I can tell you this right now, my last contest prep, I ended it at 600 calories a day. Ooh, that is so, way down there. Yeah, it certainly is. And do you know how hard it is, I'm sure, to come back from that? It is hard. We're talking, thank God I had, um, thank God I know the nutrition stuff that I know. And I knew that I would have to reverse myself because my coach was gone after my show. Uh, but thank God I knew to reverse myself. Both um, both of my coaches that I had, it was I, they didn't reverse me, but I reversed myself. I did not take their advice and I did things my way, thank goodness. Um because I would have been out of control had I have gone for the information they had given me. Um, but yeah, calories, especially on a female, um, should not, I would say at the absolute worst, get below a thousand calories a day. And that is extremely low and concerning to me in, in that place. If you have to get below that number or even 1200, I think you need to reevaluate re what you need to do in order to get ready for your show. And you need to have a coach that's actually on the same page as you and says, Hey, we aren't going to be ready for this. Let's ramp your metabolism back up and try it again down the road. Totally um, I agree. think, yeah, too many coaches say, Oh, we're already committed. We've been into this for 10 weeks. My client's going to be mad at me if I say we're not going to be ready. And so they will push their client into this extreme caloric deficit, which as a female, even not as a female, as a male, as a human being getting into an extreme caloric um, deficit even means affecting your thyroid. It, it affects everything, right? It downregulates everything. You're going to stop like me right now. I talk with my hands. I'm like spirit fingers. Your body downregulates all of that. Like if I was in the end stages of contest prep, we'll use this last prep as an example. I couldn't hardly move my legs. They were, mm -hmm. they weighed a thousand pounds a piece at 600 calories a day doing two and a half hours of cardio. Um, if you can only imagine the amount of metabolic issues that I had afterwards, I'm still working on them. I, I, it has been a long journey because this last contest prep pretty much did me in and I was so determined and my coach had me convinced and that's the crazy thing. I'm a, I have a pretty great head on my shoulders, but I got super lean. I went into a bodybuilding show got second place. My coach had me convinced I could nationally qualify and go to nationals. And so after I got second place, I turned around and I ground hard for six weeks, did whatever she said to try to make it to that point. And I went from looking really beautiful on stage, looking um, nice, full muscle bellies, um, healthy. I went from looking like that to six weeks later, looking like something out of the night of the walking dead or uh, something like that. I was, I was emaciated. I had no muscle left. I got sixth place on stage and two and a half hours of cardio a day I was doing at 600 calories. And let me tell you something, 
a year later, I am still dealing with the ramifications of that because my hormones all crashed. It was terrible, terrible. And it's taken a lot to start to get to get that back. Yeah, that's the thing that I don't think people realize is that it's not something that just bounces back overnight. I mean, you need I mean, I'm a huge advocate for not competing every single year, especially as a natural athlete. Like if if you're in a deficit for, you know, if you do it right and take the time it takes, you know, four to six months out of the year, uh, which is a longer prep, but it's a more sustainable, healthy prep, then you're only giving yourself the remaining six months of the year to build muscle. And as a natural athlete, especially, that's not really much time to build any quality muscle. So in my opinion, you're better off for, you know, staggering your competitions, competing every other year, maybe even every two or three years, depending on kind of where you're at with things. Um, and that, that also depends on like your, your level of muscle maturity, how new you are in the sport, et cetera, et cetera. But having a longer view as far as like making your competition scheduling sustainable is key because I see so many people just like they'll do a show, then they'll, they'll get addicted and they'll like do another show and then they'll do another show. And they, before you know it, you, you've spent the entire year in a deficit and then you spend the next five to 10 years trying to repair your health. Absolutely. And there's actually a lot of research backing that up that um, the longer you go in a huge deficit, the longer it is to come back from that. So, um, yes. And, and here's the other thing is, as a female, I feel like this picture has been painted of the way a female body should look by all these magazines and all this stuff. And I'm, the reason I say it's to, to females is because it seems to be okay and normal for a man to be carrying an extra bit of weight. Um, but as far as a female goes, when other people see that a female is carrying a little extra weight, the first thing they do is judge them for that, mm -hmm. um, including other females, right? Uh, females are, can be the worst judges of all. And females are so worried about being judged that they don't want to be judged and they want to do whatever it takes to look extremely lean, some of them, like especially us in the bodybuilding industry. And so it's really hard going from people being like, wow, you're shredded and wow, you look amazing and all this stuff to gaining a little extra weight again and um, being just normal, a normal fit chick and um, normal natural athletes in the off season. They're not shredded. They aren't. They, I mean, I always joke. I'm like, I don't even look like I work out. I work out yeah. constantly, but um, I'm not shredded. Like, like all these things portray you to look. And I get a lot of people saying um, things that are pretty ignorant about, me even in the gym and they don't realize it they're like whoa you've gained a lot of weight since i saw you last or oh you're just a different size or, i get all sorts of i mean i hear all sorts of things but the thing is is you have to be very comfortable and know why you are doing it that's a very important piece to this puzzle because if you're doing it to get lean and get attention then more than likely you're going to have some big struggles coming out of it because let's face it you don't want to be hearing any of these kind of things and also you have to be able to look at yourself objectively in the mirror because when you start gaining a little weight it's easy to want to go back to that stage spot which is not sustainable at all and it can definitely open some some doors to some dysmorphic um actions or just body dysmorphia totally agree and there's there's so much to be said for that because i feel like that is a topic that isn't really talked about enough because it's not you know quote-unquote sexy people want to highlight the you know the peak week they want to post pictures when they're like at their absolute leanest but you know you have to fully embrace whatever phase you're in at that time like when I'm going into a competition prep and I'm lean and I'm in a deficit you know like I'm not planning on hitting any massive PRs in the gym like I just have to embrace the fact that I'm going to be a little hungrier I'm going to have to be more strict and structured, and I'm probably not going to see any, you know, massive improvements in strength. But then when I'm in an off-season, I'm in a building phase, then I can be a little bit more lax with my intake. I can make sure that I'm getting, uh, you know, a little bit more food in and not be hungry as much. But I have to sacrifice some of the, the vascularity. I'm not going to have, like, shredded glutes in the off-season. You have to kind of take and, and, and give where you need to, but then fully embrace it when you're in that phase. Because if you're not 100% on board and confident in that phase, you're you're, you're going to half-ass and squander that time, and then you're not going to look better the next time you do lean out, or the next time you do build muscle. Absolutely, and you have to be graceful with yourself a little bit. You know that this process, um, it, it it is a journey where you kind of bounce back and forth between different um, 
looks and that is part of this sport and um as a female especially you have to be graceful with the fact that you can look like that again or maybe not but some and I kind of joked about this on Instagram one time I was like at some a bodybuilder had posted oh my goodness I can't wait for this season to be over and start cutting I hate being fluffy but at what point in your life is that just going to be normal and fluffy to a shredded bodybuilder is far removed from fluffy to a normal human being that doesn't work out and isn't a builder totally and there's a huge difference between you know going through these different phases and cycling through and yo-yo dieting like crash dieting i mean you you can get really lean and and get really fat and that's you know yo-yo dieting which is not really healthy there's no strategy behind that it's just emotional eating that is that is far removed from going through like a strategically placed building phase and strategic cutting phase like that to me is more enjoyable and more sustainable than simply just maintaining like if you're maintaining you're not really getting better i mean in all reality you're getting worse because you're getting older and your body's just deteriorating that's just what's that's what happens uh so like by having these strategic cutting and building phases you can know that you're actually improving on the macro level and and be excited about that absolutely and you have to look at a lot of things too you have to look at how you feel like how do you feel how is your time management how is your sleep and this may seem crazy but the thing is is you know if i'm say i'm in a permanent off season okay which kind of i am right now i don't know when i'm going to prep for another show i'm waiting for my body to tell me when that's okay i also just had major hip surgery so there are days when i'm a little hard on myself i'm like oh my gosh i have gained so much weight and i've lost a lot of muscle and that's another hard thing to look at Um, is how much, how smaller I have gotten. Um, But the other thing is I know I have looked that way already once before in my life, multiple times. I can look that way again. It's, there's no hurry. I got plenty of years left on this planet, right? (laughs) And so, but you have to know how you feel good. How is your sleep? How's all these things? Because those things are really important too. Um, Having energy to go work out, all of that. So you need to feel good and maintain a certain physique and it doesn't need to be a shredded physique it needs to be how you feel good so that you can interact with your family or your friends or any of that stuff and still feel comfortable yeah and i feel like that's you know kind of hinging off of that that's what makes having this you know long game approach towards bodybuilding important in the first place like if you're trying to you know become the next Mr. Olympia in three-year time span, having just picked up your first dumbbell and you're willing to take all these performance-enhancing drugs to do so, like, that's where people really start screwing themselves over because then they have such this, this skewed perspective as to what's possible and they don't get excited about that day-to-day process. And when you're able to embrace that, it just makes the sport more fun. That, to me, has been the, the best thing for giving me confidence in how I look and feel at any given point, whether I'm in a building phase or a cutting phase. That, to me, has been the biggest, the best thing for removing any negative ego aspect that is that is very common in the sport. But just having this long game mentality and knowing that, you know, you can look how you want to look. You know, you have the tools, you have the resources, you have the skill and the knowledge to be able to change how you look and feel and perform and then just work towards chipping away at that every single day. Like that is, that is empowering. Absolutely. And, and that's basically something that I tell myself constantly as I'm just like, Hey, I've had a little setback here, major surgery, all of that fun stuff. I mean, for some people it could be this coronavirus stuff going on, but here's the thing. You can still look that way again, or if you've never looked that way before and you want to, here's a great time to start. And here's the, the, the slower you take to get there, the better the end product's going to be. Um, no, and I keep referring to the painting here because it's a great analogy, but if you spend time on that painting, I'll use my basement, for example, actually. So I painted this amazing mural on the wall in my new gym basement, and I tried to do it the fast way first. I masked it all off and painted over the top of it and then started to paint in all these pieces and there were runs in them. It didn't look perfect. The lines weren't crisp. So I erased it and I ended up doing it again and caulking every single little seam and every little thing. And it took so much more time, but the end picture was so much more clear and crisp that it was much more rewarding. I don't have something with a flaw in it that I have to look at for the rest of my days. 
you're gonna have to send me a picture that i'll have to put it in the show notes or something <laughs> absolutely it's a pretty rad wall <laughs> <laughs> well talk talk to me a little bit about you like your brand um like that's kind of how we can round up this podcast we'll have to do another podcast because there's still so many questions i have for you but your i mean your name uh in the in the in the brand itself like the fit it's, it's mouthful don't let me butcher it here the fit farming farming food mom. <laughs> food mom that's what it is uh like that, <laughs> that that explains a lot right there i feel like people can <laughs> um, hear that so and know kind of what you stand for it was trying to wrap up in one thing because i have so many crazy facets and that's where a lot of people are like connie how do you manage all this stuff? We have a farm. We have a small farm, hobby farm. We have chickens and ducks and horses and a dog. And I have a big, huge garden I have every single year. Um, I love gardening vegetables with my kids and stuff. Um, anyway, I have that going on. I have fitness going on. I'm a huge foodie. I absolutely love to cook and develop recipes. And I, I make so many recipes and so much crazy stuff that uh, – <laughs> I was like, okay, well, I need to have food in there too. <laughs> so that's, that's where I managed to pile it all in the fit farming food mom. That's me. And I love it. I love it. And what, what is like, is that the website name too? Or was that the Instagram um, or is that just the podcast? Well, that's the name of my podcast. So I'm, I'm going to be fixing my domain so that people can also access it via that, but that's not come yet. Um, I'm available at ConnieNightingale.com. It's Nightingale spelled like the bird. It has an I, not an E in it. Um, gotcha. And I'm also available on Instagram at ConnieBegani, which has got its own kind of story in itself. I And so I haven't changed it. Um, when I used to race motocross, I won multiple motocross championships. And so one of my dad's friends used to call me Connie Begani. <laughs> He's like, because whenever you see you, you're gone. <laughs> <laughs> well, I must say that you are probably one of the most interesting female guests I've had on the podcast. I feel like you've got so many, so many facets to your life. I'm like trying to juggle them all to figure out where I want to even take these questions going through here. <laughs> Listen, I live this life and I wonder how the heck I juggle it. But that's one of the things that's special about life. You just learn how to do it and it just becomes easy. Some days I think I'm crazy and I question everything. I'm sure we all do. But um, yeah, I just I'm trying to put out their health stuff. I'm trying to teach people how to manage being healthy, even if they are a farming food mom, all sorts of that stuff, because I, I think it can happen for everybody and they just need to learn how to balance it. 100%. I feel like the more you can illustrate these, you know, healthy lifestyle choices in a positive light that's like fun and people can see that, you know, it doesn't happen overnight, like just documenting the journey, like that is that is so incredibly valuable and you have a very interesting journey <laughs> that you need to document. So, Connie Begani, keep keep doing what you're doing. People need you. Awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. You bet. Until next time, you have a good one.